So today we're beginning a new series called Living a Meaningful Life. Living a Meaningful Life. All of us want that, don't we? We do. And the older we get, I think it's a question of, okay, after all that I've been through, after all that I've done, what's the rest of my life going to look like? Is it going to be meaningful? And the question is, how much of that am I in control of? Can I live a meaningful life? Can you live a meaningful life? And obviously the answer is yes. Years ago, we had a, a small group in the church where I was in Oklahoma City. It was a group of young men. And I just gathered them. I said, you know what? It's hard for us to get out in the evening because, you know, normally small groups would be like in the evening. And, and the young guys are just like, man, I've got my kids to put to bed. I can't, I can't ditch my wife. You know, let's, I finally get home from work and I've got to do that. And so we would meet, I can't remember, it was either at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night. And sometimes we'd go past midnight at, at one of the guy's houses or maybe at the firehouse because one of the guys was a fireman. And when he was on duty, we would go there and we'd watch videos, a video series. We would do all kinds of things to, to just grow in Christ and grow in our relationships. And it was really awesome to see that happen for so many, time, so many years, actually. And one of the studies that we did was the book of Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes is a book that, if you've never read it, when it comes to understanding the true meaning of life, there's a lot there for you. But I didn't know how difficult that study was going to be for some of the people, some of the guys that were there. And back then, there was a, a friend that recently I had lunch with, and he brought this up, and honestly, I didn't remember that we had done the book of Ecclesiastes, that we had gone through it. And back then, he was a young entrepreneur, he had his own business, and it was growing, and it was beginning to flourish. Well, today, he's not just a small business owner, he's a fairly large business owner, and he makes millions of dollars, and he employs a lot of people. And he brought up this study of Ecclesiastes to me, and he said, he said, man, I hated that study. I hated it with a passion. He said, it took the wind out of my sail, trying to be a business owner, trying to, I wanted to be inspired. And he said, that book just totally crushed me. And he said, I, I totally lost the motivation in my life during that period of time. And I was angry about it. And it was just interesting. I just sat there and listened to him and watched his face as he was trying to communicate this. And he, and he talked about how hard he was working to build his business, to grow his business. And, and what's interesting is here he is 20 plus years later, making all the money in the world, has all the success that he could possibly have hoped for. And he sat there and he looked at me and he said, I get it. Now I understand it. It makes sense to me. What was my friend talking about? Well, King Solomon, King David's son, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And he wrote this book at the later years of his life where he was basically laying on his deathbed. 
He was looking back on his, on his life and he said, you know what? When I was young, I set out on an adventure to find out what was worthwhile doing while living under the sun. While, while I'm living on this earth, what, what is worthwhile doing? And if there was anybody that, that could have possibly truly answered this question for us, that would have the resources and the, the ability to think it through, it was this guy. It was King Solomon. And he said, I set out to find what was really worth doing while living on this earth. Where should I invest my life? What is meaningful is what he wanted to find. And the scripture says that Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David. And because of that, Solomon had a moment with God. He had heard his father talk about this God. King David, he had heard him talk about this God, but he had yet to experience him. He had yet to encounter him himself, and he wanted that kind of a relationship with him, especially as the king of Israel. And he said, you know what? I'm going to love God. And because of that, he had an encounter with God. But you see, Solomon wasn't perfect. Nobody's perfect. But yet he had an encounter with God. And at that point in his life, you see, there wasn't a temple for them to go and worship at. And so Solomon would go and he would worship in what they would call the high places. Those are the hills in the, in the country. And they would go out to these high places and they would worship all kinds of idols and the Asherah poles. And they would do all, all, all kinds of horrible stuff there. And, and that's where Solomon would go and he would worship God. And that wasn't God's preference. It wasn't a good place to go worship. Why? Because God wants his people to be separate from all the idol worshipers, right? So it wasn't a perfect situation, but it's really interesting because one day... Solomon went to a place called Gibeon, and Gibeon was the mother of all high places. It was the, the best of all. It was the most important place of all the high places for them to go and worship these idols and stuff. And he went there, and it says that he, he offered a thousand burnt offerings. Tell me that's not a long day. You think it's hard just to come to church and sit here for an hour. He offered a thousand burnt offerings this day. And it's interesting because... God looked past where he was. He overlooked the fact that this is where all the other idol worshipers were coming. And he saw Solomon and he said, now there's a guy that loves me. That's interesting. Well, that night Solomon went to bed. And the Lord came to him in a dream. And here's what the Lord said to him. He said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, how many of you would love for God to come and ask you that? A new bass boat, right? <laughs> That's one of the fears of our lives. You know, we finally have the genie come to us, and he's like, I'll give you three wishes. Oh, I waste them accidentally. That would be a nightmare, right? And Solomon, he really knew what he wanted at that point. God, the living God, came to him and said, Anything you want, ask for whatever it is, I will give it to you. Anything. That's a big promise. If God came to you today, what would he, if he asked you, for? if he said, I, I give you one wish, Tom, what's it going to be? Let's read it. Solomon said, God, my God. I love that. My God. You have made me your servant, ruler of the kingdom of the place in, in place of my father David. I'm too young for this, a mere child. 
So he recognized, I don't have what it takes. He says, I don't know the ropes, hardly know the ins and outs of this job. And here I am, set down in the middle of the people you've chosen, a great people, far too many to ever count. Here's what I want. Give me a God-listening heart so I can lead your people well, discerning the difference between good and evil. For who on their own is capable of leading your glorious people? God the Master was delighted with Solomon's response. And God said to him, because you have asked for this and, have, and haven't grasped after a long life or riches or the doom of your enemies, but you have asked for the ability to lead and govern well, I'll give you what, what you've asked for. I'm giving you a wise and mature heart. There's never been one like you before. God was flabbergasted with this guy. And there'll never be one after. As a bonus, now this is great, I'm giving you both the wealth and glory you didn't ask for. There's not a king anywhere who will come up to your mark. And if you stay on course, keeping your eye on the life map and God's designs and God's signs as your father David did, I'll also give you a long life. He asked for the right thing, didn't he? Now God granted this king wisdom, but then he gave him everything else alongside of it. Everything else that everyone else would have asked for. So Solomon goes on to become the richest and wisest king of Israel and, and probably of all kings that have ever lived except for Christ. He became the wisest and richest. God granted that to him. It was a God-given thing. And so we come to this place where this guy is living his life asking this question, what is the meaning of life? What's worthwhile doing while I live under the sun? And it's so encouraging. I'm being facetious. As we start this book, look at what he wrote. Remember, he's laying on his deathbed. He's looking back on his life and he says, Meaningless. Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people get from the gain from their all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has never has enough of seeing, nor the ear has has enough fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Isn't this exciting? It's so encouraging, isn't it? There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Amen. What a great, encouraging message. This guy is not going to be a televangelist, is he? So he goes on to explain how he used his wisdom from God and he used his great wealth for this great experiment. What's worth living for? What brings meaning to my life? What brings meaning to others' lives? And 
as we just read, the book reads kind of nihilistic. You know, everything matters nothing is basically what he was saying. Everything matters nothing. He said, and he goes on, I built the most beautiful buildings. I built beautiful vineyards. I, I accomplished so many great things. He says, you know, I had the greatest foods. I had the greatest drinks. Anything that came to my imagination that I could possibly attain, I, I, I gathered teams to be able to do that. And I, I put all of this together. I did so much all throughout my life. The most beautiful women. I had the most powerful people in all the world come and bow before me. The most powerful people in the world brought gifts to me. And, and, and they celebrated me. I've seen everything there is to see. I've tried everything that there is to try. I've created everything that I could possibly create with all of my wealth and with all the wisdom that God supernaturally gave me. And everything is meaningless. He even came to an understanding that the thing that he asked God for was meaningless. The thing that God was pleased to give him, which was wisdom, he comes to a place where he says that was even meaningless. He said, then I decided to find out all that I could, could about wisdom and foolishness. So I realized that this too was as senseless as chasing the wind. Anybody ever chase the wind? You more, uh, the more, you, and this is, this is awesome. He says, the more you know, the more you hurt. How many of you have experienced that? The more you know, the more you hurt. The more you understand the more you suffer, it's all meaningless. The very thing that gave him all his wealth and unprecedented power has suddenly become despised. So, here's the question. Now that we're all depressed, <laughs> this guy who had all the wealth and all the wisdom that God could acquire for him. He says, it's all useless. Meaningless. Can we find meaning in this life? Well, should we look for wisdom? Should we seek wisdom? Should we even grow at all? If it's all going to hand us just suffering, if wisdom is just going to make us suffer to know, should we even pursue it? If that's all it is, why even try? Why even put ourselves out there? Why not be like the kid living in the parents' basement? Just, you know, and, and Solomon says in his book, he's like, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Is that all we have to look forward to in this life. Should we seek wealth? Look what he said about wealth. He says, if you love money and wealth, you will never be satisfied with what you have. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He says, if you've got money and wealth, you're never going to be satisfied with what you have. This doesn't make a bit of sense. The more you have, the more everyone expects from you. Your money won't do you any good. Others will just spend it for you. Amen. If you have to work hard for a living, you can rest well at night, even if you don't have much to eat. But if you're rich, you can't even sleep. So should we seek wealth? Should we seek wisdom? What about happiness? Should we pursue it? He says, I wanted to find out what was 
best for us during the short time we've lived on this earth. So I decided to make myself happy with wine and find out what it means to be foolish. He's, he's like, to find out what it's like to act like an idiot without being an idiot, which is pretty funny. I did some great things. I built houses. I planted vineyards. I had flower gardens and orchards full of fruit trees. I had and I had pools where I could get water for the trees. I owned slaves and their sons and daughters became my slaves. I had more sheep and goats than anyone who ever lived in Jerusalem. Foreign rulers brought me silver, gold, and precious treasures. Men and women sang for me. And I had many wives who gave me great pleasure. I was most famous, the most famous person who had ever lived in Jerusalem. This guy had it all. I was wise. I got whatever I wanted and did whatever made me happy. But most of all, I enjoyed my work. That's kind of interesting. I enjoyed my work. <laughs> I did all this, but most of all, I enjoyed my work. Then I thought about everything I'd done, including the hard work, and it was simply chasing the wind. Nothing on earth is worth the trouble. Oh. So to Solomon, what he says, does this have any weight for us at all? Now let's be real for a minute. We all know this is true, don't we? We all know it's true. So there's one reason and only one reason to live. To love God and to love people. And there's only one way to live a meaningful life, and that is to do everything in love. Throughout his writing, Solomon says the only thing he really enjoyed along the way was his friends and work. Now, you look around at the rest of the world, and that's pretty much what we see. People just enjoying work, or they're trying to, that is. And they're friends. Oh, I got to go to work. We get up and we drive forever to get to work because that's worth doing. We got to go to work. I'll get, in, get on the tollway and sit for 30 minutes and wait because I got to get to work. Got to go to work. Got to come home from work and get ready for work the next day. And along the way, maybe I can have a, some time with friends. And Oh, I got to go to lunch with a friend, but then I got to get back to work. And then I got to come home from work and spend time with the family if I have family. And spend time with my friends if I have friends. But then I got to get back to work. Work, 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 work. And that's what he enjoyed. That was the best thing that he could come up with. Some friends and work. And that's what our world sees. That's what our world looks like. People in the world that don't have any other purpose in life. All we do is we see them blindly driving to work. what life is about. A baby comes, grandma goes. Baby comes, grandpa goes, right? A dollar made today gets spent tonight. That's life. But God invites you and me to something more. Meaning. A very meaningful life. That's what God is inviting us to. Doing everything in love fills your life passion. Y'all remember the Mary Poppins song, Spoonful of Sugar? Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Y'all remember that? 
the medicine go down. We need a spoonful of sugar with the medicine that we're having to drink every day, don't we? All of the pain, all the struggle, all of the heartache, the brokenness, the loss, the disappointments of life, the abandonment of life, the grief and the sorrow that we face in life. We need a spoonful of sugar. And when we implement love into our lives, God's love, God's purpose, and God's meaning into our lives, it's a spoonful of sugar that, that is a truckload to help us deal with the medicine of life. So why do, we, why do we do this? Well, we pursue wisdom to love God and to love His people. We pursue wisdom for that purpose. Come on, stay with me. This is where it turns, okay? I know I've depressed you. I know I've put you guys down in a well, but come on, let me pull you back out of this, all right? You've got to hear this. We pursue wisdom to love God and love people. Wisdom can bring justice to the unjust situations. Wisdom can bring, bring encouragement to victims, people who have, have been victimized in this life. If you get wisdom, you might be able to help them. Wisdom can protect the weak. Wisdom can do things for other people that, that you can't even imagine until you have it. Wisdom can bring meaning to your life, to bring people into God's kingdom. You can use wisdom to bring people into God's kingdom. And they can live for eternity with that knowledge, with that ability. You, you, you just don't have to run the rat race of life. You can bring people out of the rat race and say, there can be meaning in your life if you pursue God and pursue loving Him and have wisdom in your life. You can do great things. We pursue wealth to love love God and to love others as well. You can pursue wealth to be able to do that, to love God and to love others. Without love, money just buys things that rust and rot, right? But with love, you can actually do things that matter for God, matter for the kingdom, and matter in other people's lives. We use money to make the world a better place, and our lives become meaningful. If you have money in your life, you can make a difference in the people's lives around you. The happiest wealthy people in the world are the people that use it for good, use it for God. You ever, if we were to line up a, a group of wealthy people today and we were to interview them, you'd ask them, okay, what do you use your money for? Well, I've bought a house in Florida, I've got one in California, I've got one in New York. I can go anywhere that I want to go and I can fly around the world anywhere I want to fly. Are you happy No. But you get a guy like Mark Green, owner of Mardell and Hobby Lobby, who's provided Bibles for cultures that didn't even have their own written language. You bring people like that in that have invested their wealth and their lives into the kingdom of God. Are you happy? Yeah. Enjoy life. We pursue happiness through meaning. Happiness comes when we begin to live a meaningful life. Doing what is meaningful brings happiness. In our last series, you remember we talked about the ladder, the spiritual growth ladder. We had 
faith is the foundation, then add to your faith goodness. Start living on the good side of life. Then, on, then add to your goodness knowledge, right? We start learning and we start growing in wisdom, right? And add to your knowledge self-control. Oh, now that I've got some information, I begin to, to use that and begin to have self-control in my life. I don't have to live the way that I was and I'm, I'm able to control myself. It feels so good. And then perseverance gets added to that where I'm going to do that for a long period of time and I'm going to grow and, and do great things for a long period of time. The, then we make a shift to godliness. And godliness is when others begin to look at your life and go, oh my goodness, I see God in Karen. I can see him in her. I see God in, in what they're doing at this church. This is wonderful. And the people are able to see God in us. And then godliness, he says, brotherly kindness. You begin to live in brotherly kindness. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Then ultimately, we want to get to love. True love in our lives. So brotherly kindness, though, is when, when your goodness is now blessing others. That's meaning for your life. When your knowledge is now becoming a blessing for others and you begin to talk and teach and be a part of what God is doing in people's lives and you begin to teach them about God's kingdom, your knowledge becomes a blessing to others. Your self-control, it makes you stable in life and your stability can bring stability to people who are unstable. And that's a wonderful thing. Your godliness begins to be inspiring to other people to be godly. And, when, and listen, when, when life hands you hell's worst, when sickness and death overcome your life, when the one you wanted to grow old with and gum apples with at 80 is suddenly snatched away from you, when your father or your mother passes away or God forbid one of your kids, something happens to them, and instead of shrinking back into some nihilistic life, selfish blob of anger and frustration and human patheticness, instead of doing that, you rise up and you exist and you become a part of what's going good in life. You rise up and you work, you play, you write, you sing, you worship, you learn, you live, you forgive, you, you give and you love and you laugh and you build a home, you build a family, you build a church family. You do the good things in life and you do it in love and that brings meaning to your life. You rise up and you walk on water and you, you walk with Christ in love. It's meaning. Your life is way more meaningful than you can imagine. But you've got to take it and do it. Listen, we all know we're easily hurt. We all know that we're easily killed. We all know that. And we all know that we're as useless as we can be. And God is calling us to look that in the eye and say, you know what? As pathetic and, and incompetent and futile as I am, I can do something. I can do something that makes a difference. After church this morning, I can say hi to somebody. I can listen to somebody's story and Make them feel important. I can do something. I can pray for somebody. I can give something. I can do something that's meaningful. You say, well, John, I don't, I don't have anything to offer. I'm not talented. I'm not wealthy. Or I don't have anything to offer. My life doesn't amount to anything. Nobody even notices when I walk in the room. James David, would you come? One day there was a poor widow... And she walked into church, 
She's lonely. Her spouse had died. Nobody even noticed when she walked into church that day. But Jesus was there. And he noticed. She's empty. All she had was a couple of pennies to her name. And to our knowledge, she never said anything to Jesus. She just quietly sat back there. And as the service was concluding, she reached in her purse and she said, You know what? I may be empty. I may be alone. I don't have anything, but I do have this. She walked up and she dropped those in the offering and she walked right out the door. Listen, I'm not talking about the offering. I'm talking about using what you have to be meaningful in your life. You have something. And Jesus looked up and he saw some rich people tossing their gifts into the offering box. And he also saw this poor widow put in these two cents. And he said, I tell you, this poor woman has put in more than all the others. Everyone else gave what they didn't need, but she is very poor and gave everything she had. Here we are today, 2,000 years later, talking about this woman. Did she find meaning in her life that day? She absolutely did. At the end of Solomon's life, he's writing this book. And he says, now all has been heard. I've said my piece. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. But here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. What did Jesus say those who loved him would do? They would keep his commandments. Fear God, love God, do what he says to do. And look at what he says. For this is the duty of every human being. What is he saying? This is the moral responsibility of every human being. Loving God, fearing God, doing what he says. This is our moral responsibility. This is the meaning of your life. So where do you start? You start today. You find what little you've got. And if you've got a bunch, talent, ability, whatever it is, you better get to work. That's where you're going to find your meaning. But even if you've got, well, John, I don't have anything. You've got a little. You've got a little. I guarantee you've got a little. If that little woman had a little when she walked into the church that day, I guarantee you, you've got a little. You've got something to make your life meaningful. Meaningful. 
got something that will make a difference. Would you bow your heads? Maybe you've got words that you can give to somebody. Encouragement. A blessing. What is it that you've got? How can you offer something meaningful to God today? A prayer? All of us can pray. Maybe it's just going home and starting with cleaning the house. There's meaning in that. There's meaning. And look, if you don't go this direction, at some point you're going to wake up and you're going to say, wow, where did the years go? It was all meaningless. Perhaps you want to start a relationship with Jesus today. Would you do that right where you are? Just talk to him. Lord Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I invite you to come into my life. I want to begin to live a meaningful life. I want the rest of my life to count. I want it to matter. God, everything that I do, I want to do it for you. The fun that I have, I want to do it in your name. My hobbies, I want to do them for you. I want to build community and bring good things and happiness into this world for people to be able to see you and to see somebody that loves Jesus and enjoys life, somebody with purpose. I want to do that. God, I want to use all of my life in a meaningful way, so I give it to you today. And I thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Help me to know who you are, what you like, and what you don't like, your commands, and to follow them. In Jesus' name. Thank you, O oh God.